All right. Thank you, Craig. Uh, As we start to look at the Bible, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Please give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what you have to say to us today. Amen. All right. We have it pretty good uh, in this day and age with our navigation technology. We have Google Maps or your app of choice, which will tell you how long it will take to get somewhere, how much traffic is on the way there, and it'll even update itself to make sure that you get to your destination in the quickest time possible. Even 10 years ago, with just the dedicated GPS devices, we were able to be told where to turn and how much further to go without having to guess and turn the pages of the street directory. Now, if anyone still uses a street directory while driving solo, uh, kudos, you're a much braver driver than I am. Now, about eight years ago, there was a woman called Sabine Morio. Uh, don't be confused with the Mission Impossible villain of the same name. This is a different person. Uh, Sabine is a woman from Belgium uh, who went on a trip fully trusting in her GPS device. She told her friend that she would pick her up from a train station in Brussels, which was about 144 kilometers away from where Sabine lived. It's a fair trek. So Sabine popped the address in her GPS and started on her way. Now, a GPS error, two days and around 1,500 kilometers later, she realized she'd probably taken a wrong turn somewhere. Sabine had crossed five international borders on her trip and ended up in Croatia. That's a fair way away from where her friend was waiting for her in Brussels. She claims that she was distracted uh, and so trusted what the GPS said. And even after a few petrol refills and sleeps on the side of the road, it took her two days to realize where that she wasn't where she needed to be. Now, Sabine isn't the only one who has trusted their GPS despite seemingly overwhelming evidence that there might be a problem. There were three tourists in Australia who had to be rescued when their GPS told them to drive directly through Moreton Bay to reach an island rather than taking the standard paved route. Now, when I read these stories, I realized that unless I've actually driven somewhere a few times, I'm very reliant on Google to get me where I need to go. I'll drive you to Domino's in Ingleburn, no problem, but ask me to get to Como without crossing the bridge, I'm straight to my Maps app. There are lots of things in life that we take for granted and trust, but unfortunately, like our usually reliable GPS systems, things will always let us down, except for Jesus. Now, in our passage today, we see an interesting scene. Jesus enters Capernaum and he's approached by a centurion. The centurion is in a really hard situation. His servant is paralyzed and not in good shape. Now, one thing to note here is that the servant would have been really close and important to the centurion. In Roman times, centurions were not able to marry until after their tour of duty was over. So this man who was paralyzed was likely to be part of the family that the centurion had built for himself. Now, the centurion was an important man by his own admission. He had a position of authority and had a 100 men to command. And yet he knows that in this situation, there is nowhere that he can turn and nothing that he can do for himself. He has surely heard of this man, Jesus, and trusts that Jesus is the only one who can and will help him in this situation. 
Now, what I find really interesting about this story is the depth of trust that this Gentile soldier had in the authority of Jesus. When Jesus responds to the man's statement saying, I will come and heal him, the centurion responds by saying, I am not worthy. The centurion realizes that Jesus' authority and power is not limited to the space around him. It's not limited by touch or by sight or just by general proximity. The centurion says in verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. That's extraordinary. The centurion trusts Jesus that he will heal his servant and that he is able to do so without even going and seeing him. He tells Jesus of his own authority, showing how much greater he believes Jesus' authority to be. Did you know that when we pray, we are in a similar position to the centurion? We are asking Jesus to work in the world without actually coming under our roof physically and being there. Do you have the same trust as a centurion that Jesus can and will work powerfully in the world? This challenged me to think of how much, when I pray, do I believe that Jesus can and will do work powerfully in accordance with his plan? When you pray for your friend or family member to come and know Jesus, do you just pray and hope that maybe God heard and that, you know, he'll think about it and maybe your friend will come to know Jesus eventually? Or do you pray trusting in Jesus' power, knowing that his authority is over the whole earth? This can be hard because we don't often realize that God is working until after the fact. But I would challenge you to approach God in prayer, trusting that he is powerful and that he can work in the world rather than just praying the same thing out of habit. So how much do you truly trust in the power of Jesus? Things in life will fail us, but Jesus never will. He has authority over everything. Now, have you heard the saying, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know, or the concept of failing upwards? Uh, when I think of this, the first example that pops into my head is the Kardashian-Jenner family, everyone's favorite celebrity family. I, with my limited knowledge, would say that they are the quintessential famous for being famous family. Now, if you're unfamiliar with them, they are um, well, pretty much they became famous by being uh, involved in drama. Uh, and they have been constantly involved in situations that would see many others cancelled, and yet their fame continues to grow. They are well-connected around Hollywood, and so it seems that everything that they touch turns to gold. Like, they're obviously very skilled business people, but they have been involved in so many controversies over the years that would ruin the reputation of any other person, and yet their fame continues to grow. This seems to be a relatively common reality, and I'm sure we have all heard stories of someone who is grossly inept for a job getting the position over someone who is overqualified because of who they know. Imagine if there was a manager who almost ran a company branch into the ground and was just generally an unhelpful person. The employees get together and voice their concerns to the upper management, but then their current manager just gets a promotion to another branch because they are the boss's friend. The employees wouldn't be very happy, I don't think. Now, we might see this in a negative light in the workplace, 
But when it comes to eternity, we're actually really lucky because it's not about how much you know that will get you into heaven or what you do. It's about knowing Jesus and having faith in him. In our passage, the centurion has just finished his statement about authority, and we can see Jesus' response in verse 10. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. How can this be the case? The Jews were a very pious people. They followed the law to a T. They did exactly as the Torah told them, and we have seen how God has worked with and through them throughout the Old Testament. They were a very religious people. But despite Jesus preaching, teaching, and being the promised Messiah, they did not have faith. Verses 11 and 12 say, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus here is throwing back to a prophecy in Isaiah 25, 6 and 8, which says that God will make a feast for all people, not just the Jews. But here, Jesus is making clear that unless you have faith in him, you will not be included. Not even the sons of the kingdom who do not have faith. Jesus is telling us in no uncertain terms that it isn't about who you know or what you do, it's only about having faith in him. From the passage in Isaiah, as well as many other places in the Old Testament, we can see that God's end game is not just for Israel to be a part of his kingdom, but all the people of earth who trust in Jesus. I'm sure that those with Jesus would have been a little bit shocked to hear that a Gentile had greater faith than they did. I'm sure they would have felt quite miffed. But it is great for us to know that Jesus doesn't care about your background or your upbringing. He loves all people, even a Roman centurion who the Jews generally would not have liked much at all. Now, we do live in a very intellectual society and knowledge is valued very highly, even if it doesn't necessarily get you that promotion. Uh, And it can be very tempting to apply the idea that knowledge is power uh, to Jesus as well. If knowledge was all that mattered, none of us would be good because there is no way we can know everything about God. Being knowledgeable is a good thing, and it is good that it is held in high esteem, but we can't let it replace faith. I don't know about you, uh, but reclining in heaven sounds much more appealing to me than being thrown outside in the dark. Uh, We also need to remember to be careful that we don't uh, think that we can do anything ourselves to be good and right with God. As I said before, the Jews were a very pious and religious people, but Jesus said that without faith, doing things no matter how good doesn't matter. You won't be able to come to the feast. Jesus has authority and we can have faith in him. So what do we do with that? When something happens in life, uh, it often changes how we act. Now, Benita and I enjoy watching cop shows on the TV And it's on Channel 9, and so we see many different ads. Uh, And one ad that has been popping up a fair bit has been the ad for a program called Noom. Uh, It is a weight loss program that differs from many others by marketing itself as the psychological solution to weight loss. They say that by understanding the psychology of why you eat, what you eat, and when you eat, as well as the psychology behind exercise, you can lose the weight and keep it off for good. 
Now, this is all well and good, and I haven't actually tried it, so I can't attest to whether or not it works, but the ad is pushing that an inward change leads to an outward change. One of the people on the ad says it's not about losing the weight, it's about losing the weight. Uh, The change on the inside will cause a change on the outside. The centurion in our passage had obviously heard about Jesus and he trusted in his authority and had faith. But the centurion didn't just chill at home. He sought out Jesus and acted upon his faith and his servant was healed. Verse 13 tells us that Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The centurion had an active faith. He believed in Jesus and he acted. And because of his faith, his servant was healed. I wonder what would have happened if the centurion had not acted on his faith or felt that he knew better or was more important than this Jewish guy from Nazareth. Not a whole lot, I suppose. He would still be in his bad situation and his servant wouldn't have been healed. When something changes inside, something also changes on the outside. We're called to act on our faith, just like the centurion did in this passage. This is a fact that James, uh, who wrote the book of James in the Bible, felt very strongly about. James 2, 14 and 17 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. These are strong words, and they make clear to us that our faith isn't something to put in a cupboard and only take out on a Sunday when we come to church. It's something that we need to act on. If you talk the talk, but don't walk the walk, what good is it? If you are hungry and don't eat, you stay hungry and eventually starve. If you are cold and don't layer up, you'll freeze. We're coming out of lockdown and we have Freedom Day on our horizon. And as so as things open up and we are able to do more and see more people, what will you do with your faith? Will you leave your faith for a Sunday and not let it change you always? Or will you trust in Jesus' power and authority and act on your faith? As we open up, uh, there'll be lots of opportunities to share your faith with those around you. We're communal creatures and not being able to meet in physical community for so long has been tough for a lot of people. So why not invite someone along to church? The faith community of those in the family of God is the best one to be a part of. Christmas is coming up as well, so why not invite someone along to that? Over the last couple of weeks, Craig has also been encouraging us uh, with our habits of reading the Bible at home and with our families. Will you keep that up when we will potentially be at home less? I would really encourage you to keep it up because it is a great way to learn about Jesus together. How can we be like the centurion and trust in the power and authority of Jesus, have faith in him, and act on our faith? Are you going to leave your faith in lockdown, or are you going to actively help people on their roadmap to eternity by sharing your faith in Jesus? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your words uh, in this story about the centurion. Please help us to um, trust in your power, to have faith in you, and to be active in our faith uh, so we can share the gospel and uh, bring the good news to the people in Oatly. Amen.